When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I, today I'm asking the question of what is wisdom and what do you do when you're wise and what is the wisest thing you can possibly do and what is what is it that we need to do sometimes? What lengths do we need to go for wisdom? Sometimes we'll uh, search for entertainment, but not walk down, we'll, we'll go on a long journey for entertainment, but not walk down the street a block for wisdom. We have here the account of the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Solomon, um, a very historic occasion on several levels. Uh, Sheba, the Queen of Sheba, is in the modern nation of Ethiopia. Um, and Ophir is a, ref- a reference to, um, if I'm not mistaken, Ethiopia and sometimes to the Arabian Peninsula. So here you have Solomon reaching really far. His kingdom is quite large. It says that he builds a port city on the Red Sea, um, the shore of the Red Sea. I think, believe today the modern place is Sharm el-Sheikh, which was a big, um, a big tourist destination. You can go there and scuba dive in the Red Sea, um, there, which is in the modern nation state of Jordan, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan or Edom, as it's called here in this text, the land of the red rocks, and sort of red people, too. Esau is said to have like a reddish complexion. He goes and lives in Edom with these red rocks. And you can still see that in the the movie of Indiana Jones. The uh, Last Crusade is filmed in Edom, the the Edomite kingdom of Petra, which is a sort of tomb and tomb and area and, and natural fortress where they ride through the, the snake paths and they get to the, um, the temple. It looks like a temple. Um, and they go inside. And, of course, inside is the whole, you know, trap and holy grail and all that. But if you go in there today, it's just like a big red room. And you, it's a beautiful thing to see there in the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, which is right next to Israel. But Solomon's kingdom is really, really big. It goes all the way to the Red Sea. It goes all the way into Edom. It goes all the way, and really even into Tyre and Sidon, even though Hiram is still a separate kingdom, he is very close in alliance. We have, we see Hiram again showing up, giving Solomon sailors so that they can learn to sail in these waters. Um, sailing was a very dangerous thing uh, in those days, as it is now, but even more dangerous than most sailors uh, would sail within sight of the shoreline, which was the only way they could navigate before longitude was developed and mathematical equations and sextants and all the ways that people can determine where they are on the open sea. Until that time, most sailors had to sail um, within sight of a coastline, which made it very dangerous because there's a lot of stuff popping up out of the water along coastlines, rocks and other things. So they... um, it was a very dangerous profession. And the psalmist references those who go down 
to the sea in ships have seen the glory of the Lord. It was, it was really a life-changing experience to be a sailor um, and a very life-shortening experience as well. And so Hiram sends his servants, these sailors who come with their expertise, and Solomon is starting to import gold. And this is when the Queen of Sheba shows up. She travels a long distance. I mean, it's a long camel wagon ride uh, up to, to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. Then or now, it's a long trip. And she makes this long journey to, to learn of his wisdom. She's heard that he's the wisest person in the world. So she brings all her questions. And it says that she exhausts herself with all these questions, asking him all these questions. I, and it never says what the questions were. It'd be nice to know what these questions were. Um, were they questions about politics? Were they questions about um, natural resources? Questions that were scientific in nature of how to deal with various problems that people faced in the day, medical questions, uh, judicial questions, life questions, relig religious, who knows what these questions were that she was full of when she came. Um, there's nothing better than having a good question when you meet somebody that's wise. And coming up with a good question is an act of wisdom as well. Um, in some ways, the Queen of Sheba shows that she is as wise as Solomon because when presented with a wise person, she seeks him out and asks him questions. And this is a good example for all of us. Um, when you know someone that's wise, bring them your questions, um, which is a lot of work to get there and to come up with the questions. And she declares this uh, statement of faith comes out of her mouth that Solomon is blessed that she's heard the reports and didn't believe it till she saw with her own eyes. Um, and she's come and the Lord has made him king to execute justice and righteousness. Jesus, later in his ministry, will reference the Queen of Sheba and say that um, people came from all over to see Solomon and his wisdom. And one greater than Solomon is standing in front of you today, Jesus said. And you guys won't even walk down the street to meet him. Um, isn't this how the, the world works? People like the Queen of Sheba are traveling, risking their lives, risking their fortunes over long distances to find wisdom. And most of us can't even bother to turn on a podcast or walk down the street and talk to somebody. Um, this is the dual nature of humanity, our incessant quest for knowledge and wisdom, uh, coupled with our apathy and even uh, sloth when it comes to learning. And so... Uh, Jesus references the Queen of Sheba, and we see the Ethiopian world interacting with the world of the Bible in, in a couple of very key places. Um, when Jesus is asked, when someone needs to carry his cross, the Romans recognize he can't carry his own cross. A man named Simon of Cyrene, um, often thought to be from somewhere near Ethiopia, um, carries his cross for him. Uh, when, when Philip the evangelist is sent by God, transported into the desert, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, somebody we don't know um, his name, but he works for Queen Candace, who is a su successor to the Queen of Sheba. And, and there in that chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch shares his questions, his big questions about the scroll of Isaiah with Philip. And he says, who is this Isaiah talking about, this prophet from a long time ago? Who is he talking about? Uh, is he talking about himself or somebody else? And Philip says he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is saying, or P Philip is saying, 
when you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, you got to see Jesus there. You're going to see Jesus there. Um, he's right there on every page, and you'll see him. Um, this is the early church's evangelism, was to open up the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't really have any new ones yet. And show people that he's on every page. Um, his, the prophecies about him are abundant and clear. And so we see that other... But the reason the Ethiopian eunuch is there in Jerusalem is because he is part of the Jewish religion. Um, he is a member of the faith. Queen, the Queen of Sheba, when she goes back to Ethiopia, establishes the religion of Israel in, in Ethiopia. There are legends that when the temple is finally destroyed, that some of Queen, the Queen of Sheba's um, successors come along and the high priests and some others take the Ark of the Covenant and take it to Ethiopia, the land of the Queen of Sheba, and they put it in a church there. And you can go there today and peek through a little screen and see a shadowy form that might be the Ark of the Covenant there in Ethiopia. Um, hard to know where it is. But um, again, another Indiana Jones reference. Sorry about that. But uh, he shows up in a lot of these stories as well. But this is um, the Queen of Sheba, someone that sought after wisdom. And really, she asked us the question, how far will you go for wisdom? What will you spend for wisdom? What will you exert yourself uh, for, for to find wisdom? Um, the school of life has really high tuition. Uh, and, and, it, and it is a long semester, every single one of them. And the Queen of Sheba knew this. And she knew that um, this trip, although it would take almost an, a huge chunk of her life to get there and back, we're talking months and months and months and months, um, and she was begone from her kingdom. Um, she knew that was worth it. That educational process was worth it. And so all of our quests for wisdom are worth it. Um, even if we don't get the sort of thing that we thought we would get from it, um, we get something else, and that is wisdom. Amen. And at the very end, there's this long section about the Almogwood. I don't know what Almogwood is, but um, uh, Solomon gets a ton of it from Ophir, which I guess is sort of near the Arabian Peninsula. Um, precious stones, gold. There are archaeological digs from this, the Arabian Peninsula from this time period that show that mining was done during this time. Um, so that again, the Bible and historical record do match up in this spot. But I don't know what Almogwood is, but it was very useful for making lyres and harps for Solomon's bands, his singers. Um, we can see this human touch here that with all the stuff that's going on, building temples and Queen of Sheba, and there's still like, a concern that we need good wood to build these harps and lyres so we can have nice music. Um, this is also a thing to go after and quest for in life. Good music. It's worth the extra um, price of the Almug wood and to import it from a long distance to have that better sound. Um, this is what makes life good in many ways. And Solomon knows that, and we know it too. Amen. Today, the church remembers David Pendleton Okerhader, a deacon and missionary, died in 1931. Um, he's known as God's warrior, an epithet by which David Okerhader is known among the Cheyenne 
Indians of Oklahoma, even to this day. The title is an apt one, for this apostle of Christ to the Cheyenne was originally a soldier who fought against the United States government with warriors of other tribes in the disputes over Indian land rights. He was born in eight, around 1851, so about, you know, 10 years before the Civil War, so there was a lot of dispute going on over uh, where and how Native Americans would live in their land and how white Americans would live in their land. Um, and all this was sort of getting concentrated in the territory known as Oklahoma, which I don't think was a state yet, but was a territory that Texans, people that lived here, were starting to uh, force Native American tribes to move north to Oklahoma. Um, ever wonder why there's no reservations in Texas around here? Um, that's because we forced, or white Texans forced Native Americans that lived right here in Pflugerville and this whole area. The Tonkawa people lived in the Pflugerville area um, and some other groups that lived on the borders lived there until they were deported to Oklahoma. And this was all happening in David Okerhader's lifetime. He was um, part of an elite corps of, and he was a leader in an elite corps of Cheyenne fighters who raided uh, U.S. Army posts, but in 1875, really at the height of the violence that was happening um, and oppression and, and ex, ex, exporting and export, uh, what's the word, exiling um, people from their homes, um, he and 27 other warriors were captured, taken prisoner by the U.S. Army, and charged with inciting a rebellion and sent to an old disused military prison in Florida. So imagine fighting for your homeland um, in Oklahoma and Texas, and then being sent to Florida, really a world away. We can't imagine um, that how much, how far away that was for someone who had lived in this one place his whole life. Under the influence of a concerned army captain who happened to be stationed there, who was working on teaching uh, English and teaching uh, literacy, how to read and write to the prisoners that were there, um, the, and David Okerhader got to know this army captain and uh, gave him art and archery lessons. We have some of David Okerhader's art that he did on animal skins, depicting some of his battles that he fought in. Um, and this is where he met Jesus, um, where he first encountered Christians. This uh, captain's example, which I don't know why I don't, I don't have his name, um, and some other Christians from New York sort of adopted David Okerhader in this new identity that he was learning and forming. Um, and they, they brought him to New York. The Diocese of Central New York um, sponsored him uh, financially. Um, and he and a bunch of other and three other prisoners went north to study for ordination. They went to seminary um, right from the prison to the seminary. Um, which is a pretty cool thing to do when you think about it. Um, a new new start in life. Um, so he was sponsored by these Christians from way up north. That's where the army captain was from. He was baptized in Syracuse, New York in 1878 and took the name David Pendleton Okerhader in honor of his benefactor. Um, soon after his ordination of the diaconate in 1881, he returned to Oklahoma and he was instrumental in founding 
uh, schools and missions there. Um, he fought not only for uh, literacy, education, and worship for his people, but he also fought against the white church hierarchy that had uh, consistently marginalized the plight of Native Americans in his land. And so he did everything, sort of dealing with the ap apathetic white church that he was part of, and also dealing with the issues on the ground that his people faced um, there as a leader. Half a century before, this young deacon told his people when he arrived back in Oklahoma as a deacon, he said, you all know me. You remember when I led you out to war that I went first and what I told you was true. Now I've been away and I've learned about another captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is my leader. He goes first and all he tells me is true. I come back to my people to tell you to go with me now on this new road, a war that makes all for peace. O God of unsearchable wisdom and mercy, you chose a captive warrior, David Okerhater, to be your servant and sent him to be a missionary to his own people and to execute the office of deacon among them. Liberate us who commemorate him today from bondage to self and empower us for service to you and to the neighbors you have given us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the captain of our salvation. Amen. Remember him today. And all those Native American ministries that um, go on in the Episcopal Church and other churches um, in our, our community and far away.